And if you're following the bulletin, <laughs> so take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 has been on my heart this week, but wasn't really on the plan to preach tonight. I wanted to preach First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 1, but uh, the Lord kind of put it on my heart in between the services to just go ahead and preach this. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. Here, if I get myself situated. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own uh, on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we come together this evening saying thank you, thank you for the day we've had already, for the time of worship and singing and in giving and in the study of your word even this morning, Lord, where to come before the, this opportunity to come before the one who saved us, where with this great love you have loved us is far beyond a uh, privilege, Lord. And I'm excited to be gathered here this evening to do it again. I'm thankful for what you've done in my life, Lord. Now strengthen me and strengthen all of us that we live in a manner, in a way where others look at me and see that also. Lord, give us the heart of service. Give us the heart of unity. Give us the heart of humility. We see the challenges in the scriptures that's put before us even this evening to be unified, that we should be humble. Lord, I see so much going on in churches around us that we offered up even in our prayer time this morning next door. Churches are under attack. Satan is at work in the midst of churches. Division and disunity seeming to be at an all-time high. And nothing disrupts the work of Christ like disunity in the church. Lord, be with us, challenge us, make us wise, Lord, how we conduct ourselves with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Spurgeon said that it is a good practice to preach familiar passages often. 
I tried to stay away from preaching in the book of Philippians because it's like my favorite book in the New Testament. And we barely escaped it the last time. But this morning, uh, as we were next door praying about several churches who are struggling with unity in the church right now, my heart and mind has been drawn to this text. Really, this three-point reminder that Paul gives to the church of Philippians about why we should be unified. I guess if you was to summarize it, you would say verses 1 through 3 is Paul beckoning the church that we, are, we should be unified because we're in Christ. And really, verses 5 through 8 is Paul saying, you should also be unified because of our own humility. We should have humility just like Christ. But then in verse 9 through 11, Paul drives home another aspect, that we will one day stand before our Lord. So as we look in this, it's good to be reminded about the truths that are anchored in this book. We need unity in our church, just like other churches need unity in it. Unity is a matter of the heart. Unity is not meaning uniformed. We should be unified, not uniformed. Oftentimes we find ourselves churches fighting over being uniformed and far from fighting over being unified. Here in verses 1 through 11, Paul sets out to challenge the church to get unified, to get on the same page. Matter of fact, he'll get to the end of this book here, and we've covered it in times past, and he'll finally call it out by name. He'll call out Syntyche and Euodius by name, challenging them to get things right. He'll call it out by name because of how harmful it is to the church. So he says in the verse, in the very first verse, if there be any consolation, meaning if there's any encouragement, if there's any comfort in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy. What would be Paul's joy to the church at Philippi? That they would be like-minded. That they would operate that as if they were one accord. That they would behave in a manner that they have the same love. He goes on to tell them in verse 3 that if you really want to fail in service to the Lord, if you really want to disrupt unity in the church, you can do it two ways. He says in verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. He said, if you really want to disrupt unity in the church, labor in the church. And when you labor in the church, do it with a heart of strife. And even more, if you want to really disrupt unity in the church, when you labor in the church, labor in a manner that you go around seeking to have people pat you on the back. He said, when you labor in the church, let others esteem, uh, esteem others higher than even yourself. Verse 4. He gives us this another, another recipe. Let not, let not every man, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know what happens in church when you start looking around when they start to think, well, sister so-and-so has this, well, brother so-and-so has this. I bet that's because they're not tithing like I do. You know, there's nothing that disrupts 
unity in the church when you start focusing about what you don't have and what everybody else does have. Paul says you want to continue to promote the heart of unity in the church, focus on the needs of others in the church and stop focusing on yourself. So what he does here, he says, if that doesn't really get your heart calibrated, if that doesn't bring you to a place of unity in the church, that we should be focusing on Christ, that we should be like-minded, one accord, that we should be encouraged in Christ, that in Christ is our comfort. If we can't get to this place where we can't esteem others higher than ourselves, and that doesn't bring a sense of unity, he said, pride is still too far off. So then he takes you to verse 5, and he takes us to the humility of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made into the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Paul takes our eyes and readjusts it from inside the church building and adjusts it to our Lord and Savior. He said, look what our Lord did. What's wrong with you that you can't even humble yourself? What's wrong with you that you're seeking so much promotion in the church that you're disrupting the unity? Look what our Lord did, who left the throne of glory, came to earth, not only took upon him the form of a servant, the creator became the creation. The king became a baby, the most helpless creation in all the world. And then took upon him the name of a servant, which none of us seem to like. And even more, he took on the death, the death even of the cross. And he calls their eyes to this. He says, our Lord became obedient even unto that. Now, it seems absurd that as Paul is speaking to the church, that we shouldn't be able to realign ourselves when we think about how Christ humbled himself. But yet it is the reality that sometimes Believers find themselves in a position where it seems that they're so hard-hearted, feelings are so hurt that they decide not to let go, even if it causes disruption in the church. When I was in school here, when I first came here, I had found myself one day irritated with Brother Duncan. Now, I love him. He's my uncle, but this day he had me chapped. As soon as he left the room, I started running my mouth. And as he left the room, I was running my mouth. But that day, I entered into a realm of technology that I was not yet familiar with. Because the church, the school, had installed these little boxes in the room. Remember those Brother Green? Not only could they talk out, but they could listen in. And that day, as I was full steam ahead running my mouth, my uncle walked back in the classroom and said, he didn't even ask no questions. Took me straight to the office. The board of, uh, the board of education met the seat of understanding multiple times that day. You know what happened? I had got to a place in my mind that I believed that the lack of presence of authority limited him, limited him from hearing my complaints. 
that is often the time that causes disruption in the church. So Paul says, listen, if you can't bring yourself to a place where you're humbled, if you can't bring yourself to a place, even when you look at how Christ humbled himself, I'm going to bring you to another place of understanding. This place of understanding is in the exaltation of Christ. See, you have forgotten that though Christ may not be physically in front of you, he is not absent from your complaints. He is not absent from the disruptions that you have caused in the church. He's not absent from the lack of unity that remains with in your heart. It seems that 9 through 11 is the ultimate reminder to the church. It's like Paul gives a twofold reminder. If, if you will just humble yourself, God can handle the exaltation. And even more, that if we'll behave right, and, and we'll behave in a manner that if something goes wrong and we disagree with it, and we don't run off like we need to fix it, if we'll just step back and give ourselves the reminder of where Christ today is on the throne, it will bring us great comfort to understand he is certainly going to straighten these matters out. So he says, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. It seems today that we live in an age that loves to pay, pay tribute to Jesus. They love to pay homage to Jesus in their own way. It's confusing, you know, even when we go out here soul winning, you walk up on people and you're sharing the gospel with them, and they have this big gold medallion on their chest, and it's of Jesus' face, and these crowns of thorns are still pushed down upon his head. If you go down just a couple of streets down and you see the church right down here, they have this statue of Jesus, or statue of Mary, and she's holding baby Jesus, she's coddling in her, in her arms, even at Christmas. Christmas time. The world is caught up with this. Baby Jesus, there he is, laying in a manger. Everyone gathered around him. The wise men's hanging all around him. Even more, we see athletes today. They're wearing these big necklaces of a cross, and there on the cross is Jesus hanging from it. But here, here our thoughts are realigned. Here we're reminded in the text that all of this is not so. Jesus was never left in a manger. He was never left with the crown of thorns upon his head. He wasn't left in a ball tomb and he wasn't left hanging on the cross. He was not left in a manger. But Paul brings our minds and hearts to the throne room of God. He said, wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He brings us to the reality of where Christ is today. He was not left in subjection to Mary. He wasn't left in the hands of those who crucified him. God hath highly exalted him. First we see he was exalted in his name. He's given them a name which is above every name. As I was preparing to preach this evening about 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 4, I love how he ends the end of that verse. He ends it in the greatest way. Christ, our hope. Christ, our only hope. 
Christ, the, the world's only hope. He is our only hope today. He was the only hope in the Old Testament, and he is the only hope in ages to come. God hath highly exalted his name. It was said that Moses could meditate on the law. Muhammad could brandish a sword. Confucius could offer wise sayings. Buddha could give personal counsel. But only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus was the one worthy to have all the angels before him seeing that he shall save his people from their sins. After, after long, even more, if you think about it even more, after long the church, after the church is raptured up, long after the church is raptured out, we'll get it out in the right order here. Long after the church is raptured out and judgment is poured out upon the earth, you get into Revelations after Revelations chapter 3, your heart breaks about all the judgment that is poured out upon the earth all these vials and seals that are broken and how it scorches all across the land. But do you know in the midst of that great judgment, in the midst of God's wrath pouring out upon the earth, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 9, in the 14th verse, that God will send down an angel and he will fly in the midst of heaven. And you know what he'll be doing? He'll be preaching the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the answer from ages and times past. It is the answer for ages today. And it will be the answer for ages to come. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted his name. There is no other name like the name of Jesus. Mark it down, write it down. In all the worlds to come, in all the ages to come, where Christ's name is not exalted, there will be no hope. Be none at all. No hope. Wherefore, God hath given him a name which is above, that is above every name, the name of Jesus. He said, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And one day the Bible tells us that there's coming a day. Paul is looking forward in the history of time under the inspiration of the, Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit that one day there's coming where the white knee's going to bow, where the black knee's going to bow, where the red knee's going to bow. And when those who are missing a knee, they're going to bow too. All will find themselves prostrate before the Lord. We will all bow down before him. This name will cause others to fall down and pay respect. What a day that will be for those who've mocked him. What a day for that will be for those who have despised him. What a day that will be, as Paul is trying to emphasize here, what a day that will be for those who tried to stir up problems in the church. What a day. When they're faced with a name that's higher than theirs. What a day when they're brought to a place to the reality that you're just not as powerful as you thought. <laughs> that not everybody in the church should be worshiping you like you thought. In John chapter, or Revelations chapter 5 and verse 4, you just can't help but feel the heartbreak when you read Revelations chapter 5. You get into Revelations chapter 5, and, Bible, and the Bible says, John says there in that text, as he says, he said, I wept much. He's, he's here and he's seeing this vision of how it's going in heaven. And he said, I wept 
much. This was not just the onset of tears. This is that John found tears in the corners of his eyes. He said, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book, neither to look thereon. He's weeping. No one is worthy to open the book and read the names within the scroll. No one is worthy there. And one of the elders came to John and said, weep not. I have good news for you. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. John was weeping because that there was no one there found worthy, but his heart was refreshed when one was found worthy. Behold, he, the one has prevailed, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, there is in this world today people seeking to have their name exalted. They're willing to be exalted, but scripture says they're just not worthy. There was only one who was found worthy to open the book. There was only one who was found worthy to open the seven seals. And it says here, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth of things in heaven that's how he says every every everyone don't don't let me get this messed up this is multi-dimensional there is no other name like the name of Jesus he said of things in heaven Brother Brandon spoke about this even this morning, making reference to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 in the second verse there says, With two wings they flew, with two wings they covered their face, and with two wings they covered their feet, and they cried, Holy, holy, holy. They worshipped him. The angels of heaven looked upon, could not even look upon his glory. The host of heaven bowed at the name of Jesus before he left glory and intervened into humanity so that wretched humanity could be saved. They worshiped him then. And when he ascended in this great exaltation, he entered back into heaven, was sitting at the right hand of his heavenly father. And again, they cried, holy, holy, holy. And one day coming when all ages have passed, we too will be surrounded around the throne room of heaven, singing along with the angels, praising God and praising the great name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus he said, and of things of in things and of things in the earth. It seems that the masses of mankind today, they offer no true homage to Jesus at all. Really. They're really devoting the devoted to systems that destroy their souls. I am troubled when you see people so adamantly screaming on the TV about why their religion is wrong and how they have become this source of wisdom to condemn Christianity and to condemn Jesus Christ. I am struggling to understand why we live in this world who promotes humanism, who promotes socialism, who promotes many of these false re uh, religions today. And even more, it seems that even believers today, our lives have become too cluttered to find time 
for Jesus. To find time to get with him alone in prayer. To find time to get alone and worship with him. But one day, have no fear. One day, down here, everyone is going to get the opportunity to bow. Yes, one day when the prince and the power of the air, according to Revelations chapter 20, there is going to be one last offense against the name of Jesus at the battle of Armageddon. But after the Lord's great victory, you know, we find out everybody bows. Everybody does at the name of Jesus. He was not only exalted in his name, but he was exalted in his authority. No one had authority like Jesus. The last part of verse 10, and he says, and things under the earth. Now, we can't help but every time we think about things under the earth, we think about demonic activity. I draw our minds back to when we studied that of Mark chapter 5. Remember when we read about there about the demoniac of Gadara? What do we see about that? Every day, this man, they would bind him with chains. He would break the chains. They would bind him with fetters. He would break the fetters. He ran through the tombs. He cut himself. Night and day, he spent in the mountains crying aloud. But what do we find out? When the Bible says there in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus came to the other side, the old demoniac seen Jesus and ran to him. And what did the demoniac say? Exalt me, lift me up, bow down and worship me? No, the Bible says this demoniac, who wasn't filled with a demon, he was filled with a legion of demons. And when he seen Jesus, when no one combined him, he ran from afar off and came to Jesus. And the Bible says he ran and worshipped him. He said, what do I have to do with thee, Jesus? Thou son of what? The son of the most high God. He cried, torment me not. There is something about the name of Jesus. This name is above every name. And one day he says, those in hell, those on earth, those in heaven, even the great deceiver himself will find himself one day bowing at the name of Jesus. His name has been tried and found true. He cannot be defeated. Satan could not tempt him. Death could not hold him. And one, all, one day all will cry that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can't read these Philippians chapter 2 and 1 through 11 and not be reminded what Isaiah chapter uh, 46 and verse 9 when he said, I am God and there is none like me. There is none like the name of Jesus. Only he could calm the waters. Only he could walk on them. Only he could bring redemption to fallen humanity. He has turned more lives around than has ever walked on this earth. He lived 33 years, and this world has never forgot him. Paul is letting the church at Philippi, don't forget this either. Yes, he humbled himself and he died. It's true. But a good realignment would be to remind yourself he is the conquering king. That's where he is today. In verse 11, in that Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, this will be sweet to some. 
This will be so sweet to some to see our Savior face to face. This will be so sweet to finally be there, free from sin, free from the burden of sin, free from the things that plague our minds. Even when we're here worshiping, our minds often, Satan is trying to deceive us, to pull us away, to make us believe that something else is important. But one day, with the purest heart, we will be able to cry aloud, Jesus is Lord. It'll be sweet to some, but it won't be sweet to all. It'll be bitter to others. It'll be bitter to others to have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue, every rational being in all creation of times past, present, and future will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every believing heart will cry it at the top of their lungs in voice. And the Bible even says in Revelation, in song, in chorus with the angels. Can you imagine? It's going to be beautiful. Daniel's going to have a new voice. That make me want to sing right now. It's going to be wonderful. Jesus is Lord. Every unbelieving heart will confess it too. In dismissal, submission, in dismal, I mean submission and despair. Even Satan will do it. We see here this reminder, really, as I am burdened by the thought of brothers being in despair, other churches being disrupted by disunity. It scares me because it makes me be brought back to the place to realize Satan is just not satisfied. He's not satisfied with causing temptations and trials and troubles in our own life. It's just that Satan even more wants to seek to break the unity in the church. He wants to bring us to a place where we doubt each other, where we uh, doubt our, our intentions towards each other, that we all have this good heart and, and desire to see the Witten Place Baptist Church move forward. And listen, if you think we're safe, you're on the wrong side. But be reminded of this. This is the reminder to us all. He pledges it to us three ways. Look within what you have in Christ, what we share in Christ. And then, if that doesn't work, look at what Christ has done in the humbling of himself for us. And if that doesn't work, then be reminded. Be reminded that he is no longer babe in the manger. He is the exalted king. He is the exalted name. And he is the one at the end of all that will make all things right. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, I give thanks to you for having this opportunity to be here this evening, Lord, as we're reminded and, and, and refreshed about the importance and the necessity of union and unity in the church. Lord, I pray that you'll bring our hearts together, merge our hearts, Lord, unify our hearts. May, may we be of, of one mind, of one accord, that we have one desire, and that is to see your name magnified where we are. Lord, I pray that you'll um, set our hearts on a goal, Lord, this year. Help us, to, uh, uh, help us to set our hearts on a goal this year and help us to set our affections on uh, each other, Lord. May we not look on what we don't have, but how we can help others. Others. May that be the word that continues in our mind. Others. 
We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.